Let me tell you a secret. Veterans are entering a world full of opportunity, but you can only participate if you know the tricks of personal branding, leveraging your skills in the modern digital economy, and most importantly, positioning your benefits and assets to give you financial control when you stop following orders. I'm Scott Tucker, and I'm here to tell you what they don't want you to know. Welcome to Veteran Wealth Secrets, where we show you how to go from apathy and aspiration to autonomy and financial control. Now, you were just uh, mimicking the topic of today, which is a fly trap. And you have <laughs> to have a fly to fly into the trap. You have to have the stranger. I was uh, talking about the fly trap I had where the flies were so dumb that they were literally breeding inside the trap. And so I was like, geez, they're not even giving themselves a chance. And that's what, if you really look into it, and we're not going to get into it today, maybe another time, but the way our financial system works, it's a bunch of flies in a trap and it really has to do with the value of the money. If you, there's that, have you seen that graphic that's gone around where it shows like the dollar bill it's, and then it's decreasing since 1913, since the federal reserve and the value of the dollar has decreased like 96% or something like that. Yeah. And I think you and I had that discussion a few weeks ago. And I think we probably even brought it up on one of these. That's as we go along through this military finance 2.0 stuff. And we get to the portion where we start talking about growing assets and stuff like that. That's absolutely one of the things that we look at on there because it, like you said, the 96% over the last hundred years, I, people say, what does that even mean? It basically, it means a dollar back in 19... 13 has the same purchasing power as four cents. It would basically, a dollar today would buy the same thing as four cents back in 1913. That's that's what I was trying to get at. And that just means, and that's the whole point of investing. See, investing was never a thing when the values of, of, the, of the currencies stayed relatively flat. People you know, got the value of the thing that they produced. And as the industrial age came about, then there was investments. Ah, okay, cool. I found the graphic. Hold on. I'm going to share my screen. Yeah. Um, I was like, this has got to be on Twitter somewhere. Does it show like the previous hundred years before 1913, what inflation was like? I know there's a lot of factors that have contributed to it because we have more of a, a global economy now, but. Looking at the chart, no, I just shows some exa you know, examples of where things were at, at the given time, but uh, still a powerful image. Yeah, I think it's probably about to get worse too because you look at the fact that what are the national deficit grew by basically thirty three percent over the last few years. That's insane, and and we just created what like six or seven trillion dollars out of thin air. That's if you study economics, you know that as supply, you know, increases, demand decreases. Um, yeah, they say, what did you say? The 40% of all the dollars that have been created in the history of the U.S. economy were created in the last year. Yeah, that's... <laughs> 
it, it's all the money in um, circulation. Yeah, or I mean perceived circulation. Yeah, a lot of that. We could sit here and dive into the gold standard and all of that, but I think that would probably take us off track from the focus of today's discussion. We're going to talk well, about the time. But as these topics come up, let's take note and make sure we do shows on them in the future. Yeah. Because that's a point is, yeah, we want to teach the basics, but we also want to teach you know, some of the stuff that's behind the scenes for, for some strange reason. I, I never, that's why I never understood this stuff. Oh, how money's fiat currency and how they just, just print it. Like, why is that understood more often in our, in our community? I, I like doing that too. Yeah, I actually, I have a few articles uh, that I've written. I don't know if I've published any of them yet, but I just, I have them. They're on my computer, like talking about inflation and what it does to any kind of investment you have or any money that you have and how it's not necessarily a great thing. But yeah, I think inflation does tie into something else that we are going to discuss today, which is the time value of money, right? Because then that's what inflation is really tied to is time. Over the last hundred plus years, the value of the dollar has decreased by 96%. That's insane. But the best way to make sure that the money that you have now is going to have the same or more buying power 20 or 30 years down the road, however far away retirement is. And it's not just then it's okay. What about all the time in between? Right? Because I don't like hearing the traditional financial advice. You need a comprehensive plan to make sure that you're prepared for retirement. I get it. Yeah. They want you to take advantage of the time that you have between now and then to, to have that income. But there's a lot of life and opportunities in between then to take advantage of. And to me, do you, I look at that as when I'm 75 or 80 and, and on my deathbed, do I want to be like, man, I sure am glad I'm laying here on my deathbed with $3 million in my bank account. And I didn't really do a whole lot in between then. No, I don't like you can't take it with you. I'm not saying don't be prepared, but at the same time, like, understand there's a lot i'm 40 i'm going to be 41 years old next week i'm not planning on retiring for quite some time if i ever retire so to me I, I look at it as like how do i use this stuff to create opportunities for myself to have income to support the life that i want to live yeah you can do like tim ferris does mini retirements i love that concept because i was like that's what i like to do is just take as much time as i want to go do something different for a while so i've been taking no time doing uh, anything uh like that <laughs> so i could focus on building the business so i can do that someday that's that's all part of the plan i'm gonna start calling it that i'm like hey scott i'm gonna be retired for the next two weeks why not that's the whole point of being an independent in some capacity who cares when you know how you're employed how long that employment is if it's a contract where you're at the more mobility and flexibility you have in your schedule and your time, your location, the more value of any, any money is because you're not tied necessarily to one economy. And that economy is much more broad than it typically would be your economy. And it used to be go to work in a small town and you spent everything there. All your time was there. Everything was there, your whole network, but now it doesn't have to be that way. 
Yep. Walmart, destroyer of small businesses. No, Amazon, really. Amazon was a creator. A lot of people don't realize a lot of things you buy on Amazon are from people who create stores. And they're selling it on Amazon. You're just buying it through the media. It's basically, you know, buying stuff off the shelf at Walmart. Somebody created the product. Actually, I think in my hometown, and it's probably happened in a lot of other small towns uh, across the U.S., the malls are what really killed because i looked at pictures of of my hometown fairmont west virginia back in the 50s 60s everything was in town all the stores restaurants stuff like it was all in town and then i think in like the 70s the mall there middletown mall was built and everything moved to the mall so they had sears and you know jc all the big retailers moved to the mall a lot of those stores department stores and stuff left downtown and went to the mall i feel like all the malls are called middleton mall but what's happening to malls now right yeah they're all all the malls look at macarthur center in downtown norfolk when i moved down here in 1999 that was like unveiled as like the new jewel of downtown norfolk it was a night it was an awesome three-story mall and had tons of stores had all the movie theaters yeah movie theaters he's gonna go to a movie theater anymore uh rainforest cafe like all that stuff now it's that place is a ghost town no but what's actually happening is a lot of these malls that are completely abandoned are being bought up by amazon for for warehouse uh, fulfillment centers perfect it's there they played their game he's been scheming this out for decades (laughs) that's the time value of money <laughs> mm-hmm. To know you're going to just completely disrupt all the systems. Amazon Air, I just read an article, has 77 airplanes now. Like they're, they that's need, not bad. They don't need Fed. They're not going to need FedEx. And I see so many Amazon trucks on my street. Yeah, it's it is nuts. Take over, <laughs> like the entire economy. Like that's their goal. Is like everything will go through Amazon. Well, you know, they're building that huge distribution center out here in Suffolk where I live. And I drove by there one day. My God, dude, that thing is massive. It is the last time I drove by and looked at the building and I was like, that thing is massive. I think it was the Pentagon. They they say, hey, the only way if you're worried about that taking over your life and taking over control, it's like, hey, buy locally and stuff. It's yeah, but it's easier. <laughs> And look, I can get these books. We get these books printed. How many people have we've sent books to that have taken the time to read it and have come back to us and said, hey, tell me more. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Good. I'm glad I'm I'm sending the books around. So I've actually got a batch of them I'm about to mail out to some people right now. So definitely if uh, for folks that are interested in the books, they're up on Amazon. You can get the print or a Kindle version, of course. But you can also get it on our website for the PDF for free. But if you do want the printed, that's the best way to get it. Unless you happen to know Trevor or I directly, we can get probably one to you for your charge. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Since we, we got into that time value money, we can see like how Amazon is taking advantage of that. But really on a more personal level, like how does that apply to the individual? And this kind of ties into, we, we did the carryover because really this kind of ties into what we talked about last time, the efficiency of your dollars. Do I invest or so that that's the question that I, a lot of people ask is, Hey, should I wait until I have all my stuff paid off before I start investing and creating wealth? And if you go talk to the talk show hosts and the authors, 
they're going to say, no, debt is the devil. Go take care of all of that first, be debt free and then start. And really that's because I look at the math of it. And I've even heard some of them say like on those, their YouTube videos, I heard a Dave, Dave Ramsey video where he's like, when I tell somebody this, the mathematical side of my brain just drives me insane. But I know that's what somebody's more likely to do. And I'm like, maybe they're more likely to do that stuff because they don't really know. They don't have the knowledge. They don't know how money works. So to me, I'm like, no, it's you should not wait until you pay your house off or your, or try to pay your car off early to start investing, right? Pay yourself first. From an efficiency standpoint, it does not make sense to pay something off and then have that money go work for you afterwards, especially cars. That's the one that, like we talked about last week, why am I going to pay cash for a depreciating asset? That's just saying I'm going to go pay $30,000 for this car. And maybe instead of that, like I'm just going to take $30,000 out in the backyard and burn 20000 of it. <laughs> That's basically what you're doing. Or, or my mom called me yesterday to, to say uh, she picked up her tax return. And she owed some money in taxes. And I think she... I lost you. I, I dropped off. Yeah, you did. <laughs> no, but I hit the back button by accident. But anyways, my mom called me yesterday and... Um, says hey she owes money and and i was like oh no she's gonna ask like you know did wrong she didn't say that she just said hey which which account should i pay it from and so i was like cool she's been trained that it's actually better to pay at the end of the year versus a uh, return yeah no my my dad's the same way he's i hate getting a tax return and in my opinion, you should hate getting a tax return. I mean, because... you should hate paying at the end of the year too, but that's another story. Yeah. I guess the big thing is just making fixed income system. <laughs> yeah. And that's, it goes back to the whole mindset thing. I've talked to so many people that they're just afraid of using that money to work for them because they haven't done it yet. They don't understand. That's the thing about the first time you ever jumped into the deep end of the pool, you didn't know what was going to happen. You were scared beyond belief. And then you jumped in and you were like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. So people just have that irrational fear and they're like, I want to stay in my nice warm bundle. I want to stay in this big bag of other flies and get my tax return every year because that makes me feel comfortable. Okay, that's fine. But you're it feels never like a win. It feels yeah. like, it, gosh, this, the way it's set up. Oh, we'll give you a return. Some of your money back. It's oh, it's like, uh, here you go, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> here's your stimulus we're giving your money back to you and so that's how easy it is to trick people a little bit into thinking about where they fit in part of that problem is people don't make that parallel they don't see it between hey you know how i feel and the reality of the situation are oftentimes completely different things and that's what they do they say i feel like i should do this and when you sit there and ask them, you can ask them two or three questions and get them to the point where they say, oh, okay, maybe the way that I feel isn't the actual, isn't actually the reality of the situation. 
And that's just one of those habits that you have to get people to understand. It's it's not the best way. It's a way well, to do it, but it's not the best way. And, and I, I don't think there is a getting people to understand. We're more trying to do is just making sure that all of those who are willing to understand know about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. there is no convincing <laughs> of, of everybody. Yeah. Some people, they're never going to, they're never going to come around and I don't know what to do. Yeah. You can't save everybody. But in the meantime, I just try to put the knowledge out there and hopefully people will take that on board and start to learn from it and, and ultimately be successful because of that. I think with this, we're talking about time value of money. We bring this up because in the end, time is absolutely the greatest accumulator of wealth. Anybody who you know, studies finance or anything like that understands like time plus compound interest equals growth. And if you're waiting to take advantage of that, you're not, the longer you wait, the less you're going to have it, whatever your goal is, whether it's like, Hey, I want to have this much money by time I'm 35, or I want to have a certain amount of money when I'm getting out of the military because I want to go start my own business. <laughs> the longer you wait. And I know this from personal experience, the, the worse off you're going to be. I was that guy. If I could do one thing, say, if you could go back in time and tell yourself one thing, what would you do? Th that would be the thing that I would say, Hey, you know, go back, take advantage of, of all those times you deployed and came back and re-enlistment bonuses and came back from deployment with a bunch of money. Don't pay your car off. Don't go out and buy new guns or whatever other cool thing that you want, like start paying yourself. And 20 years from now, you're going to thank me. That's not going to happen. So the best I can do now is just learn from my mistakes moving forward. Yeah, right on. The things I wish I would have, even if it wasn't just, had I put my money into an account and assuming I would have gotten 8% you know, compounded, I'm sure it would have doubled or tripled or whatever the time value money equation is. But at the same time, I think about the time I wasted or, or the actual value of my time that I didn't spend learning how to create money which is essentially business. That was the whole point of Rich Dad Poor Dad. It was put your money to work, figure out how to, in most cases, real estate. I Gosh, there were a lot of people who started in their 20s. You did. Started doing real estate investment in their 20s. It, that I was over, I happened to be overseas. That wasn't a good fit for me, but it was still the internet age. Like I had an opportunity to put my time and my investment into learning how to do Facebook because the opera singer I was dating at the time, she needed to promote her business, <laughs> her, her singing career, but she wouldn't let me use Facebook. And I remember being annoyed that I didn't think we were getting a good return on investment. Or I thought we could have. And that was in the early days. Imagine how I, I had actually learned that would have been quite valuable. Actually, I didn't start in my 20s. I started in my late 30s. Oh, okay. Had I started in my late in right, my right, 20s. Right. So a lot of people do, and, and some people start these. It's not about starting a business and becoming a millionaire overnight with some website, but you do hear about people just like you buy, buy an investment property and get somebody paying you rent. You can create a website on a topic and eventually start getting paid rent in the form of advertisement to make some money. And people do that all the time. 
That's just one example. So, well, one thing I was going to like as we're talking about this, I wanted to bring that slide up. The house one, do you have that? Because that that was the other one we did the car one last time. I wanted to bring the house up one up because this is a very common misnomer that a lot of people have. So if you're looking at this as something I created and basically this is my own personal scenario. So my wife and I bought our house we financed it. At, I think it's 420,000 at three and a half percent, simple interest, simple math interest, not compound interest. So the thing about a house that's different than a car, it actually appreciates in value. Hopefully, unless there's a <laughs> real estate bubble, which I experienced that too with the house. I, with another house that I had owned. So you're paying your principal, your interest, your taxes, your insurance on that. One thing about that too, while you're paying that mortgage, having that interest, that's a tax deduction for you. So that throughout the year, as you're doing your taxes, that's something that helps you out. I will say this under the current tax law, if the amount that you have financed is more than 750,000, you're not going to be able to deduct all of that interest from your account, from your taxes. But as I'm paying into this thing, the real estate market's growing at probably at a rate of two to 3% per year. So it's increasing in value. So what I looked at, right, $420,000, three and a half percent for 30 years. Just the principal and interest on that was about $1,885 a month. That means over the course of that 30 years, I would have paid $678,000 into this house. $258,000 of that would be interest. What I said was, hey, you know what? I Because I went to business school, I had a spreadsheet where I could do the amortization of the loan. And I said, hey, what if we start throwing $500 a month towards the principal of this and I ran the numbers on it and I said, okay, that's now we're only going to pay $170,000 in interest. So it's going to save us about $88,000 on this loan. And it's going to shave about 10 years off of the life of this mortgage. And I thought that was really smart until somebody came at me with, okay, Hey, what's the, this is another business turn of, Hey, what's the opportunity cost of your decision? If you're not familiar with opportunity costs, it's basically the opportunity that you had, had you chosen to do something else instead of what you did do. So I was like, okay, let me see here. I threw $500 a month away at 7%. I use 7% because if you look at the historical average, the S&P 500, it's about 8%. So I tried to be a little conservative there for 30 years. That would have given me $610,000. That's just assuming steady growth. Obviously we know it's, it's not steady. The market goes up and down all the time. That would have made me a pretty significant amount of money right there. A lot more than I would have saved in interest. So had I paid the house off in 20 years, I'd say, okay, now that I paid my house off, I can take all that money I was putting towards principal and interest and throw that into the investing along with that $500 a month. Now I'm only, I'm paying into this for 10 years, but that's about $200,000 less that I would have had. For a lot of people, that's not a small amount of money. No, that's, those are real dollars. And really what this has given you is even if you didn't come out $200,000 ahead, the extra flexibility that you get over all these years to make different decisions and not just to be tied into one yeah, you know, strategy. This is really a, a different way of explaining the similar benefits we get from our version of the Survivor Liberty Plan 
our version of the uh, SBP or survivor benefit plan alternative, because it's like, all right, you're paying these payments like a mortgage anyways. Some of them go for the cost of doing business, the interest, and some come back in benefit. In the mortgage, it's living in a house. And in the SPP case, it's a, a benefit in the event that the veteran passes away first. And that's the only benefit. Whereas in our strategy, much like this, you can get a lot more bank return on investment all throughout the scenario, not just the one version. Yeah. And doing it this way, like investing that for you instead of giving the bank their money back sooner because they're going to say, oh, this guy is paying us extra money every month. We're going to use that to go out and make more money. That's what the bank is doing with the extra money that you're paying. So either you can put it to work for you or you can give it to the bank so they can put it to work for them. There's a, another scenario that is in the textbooks of anybody that goes any kind of like financial advisory curriculum. One that I, a class that I had a while ago where they show an example of a guy who just goes and throw in an arbitrary amount, call it a thousand dollars a year. So if you have a guy who invests a thousand dollars a year for 10 years into an account, and then he lets it sit there and grow for however long, 30 years. And then you have another guy who waits 10 years to invest. And then he throws in a thousand dollars a year for 20 years. So at the end of this time frame, 30 years later, which guy do you think has more money? It's actually the guy, <laughs> I know nobody can answer me, but it's actually the first guy who only invested $10,000 over 10 years. He's got almost twice as much as the guy who put away $1,000 a year for 20 years because he took advantage of that extra 10 years. By the time the, the second guy started investing, the first guy already had something like, I think it's like seventeen dollars or $18,000, right? If you've ever heard of the rule of 72, it basically says, if you want to figure out how much time it's going to take you to double your money, divide divide your interest rate or divide 72 by your interest rate, and it'll tell you it's going to take this many years to double your money. If you want to know what interest rate you need to double your money, subtract the amount of year or divide 72 by the number of years that you have, and it'll tell you what kind of rate of return you need to do that. So if you do, I think I did 10% for that. Right at 10%, you divide 72 by 10%. That means every 7.2 years, it's going to double your money. But anyways, to get back on point, the, the second guy who threw away $1,000 a year for 20 years, it doesn't matter because he lost that extra 10 years. He could throw $1,000 a year for 80 years into that thing, and he's still never going to catch up to the first guy. Yeah, no, it's powerful stuff because not just that, but also, anybody that's saving earlier is at least thinking about how money fits into their future and uh, creating time for themselves to uh, figure out what they want to be doing. Because there's always another way to maybe start something that can create a lot of value at once. <laughs> and it's from that mindset standpoint or the behavior thing that all the gurus follow. I, my take on it is, look, if you're willing to put this off for a day, you're also willing to put it off for a week. Or a month or a year or 10 years. If you don't have that mindset of I'm going to start taking care of myself right now, who knows when it's going to click for you. And the opportunity cost for you is you may miss out on 20 years of your life to start building or creating something that's 
going to make you ultimately a lot more successful in the long run. No, exactly. And, and that's the unfortunate thing, given that we're in America in the internet age, there's so much opportunity, but if we are stuck just working for somebody else for our whole lives and never actually trying, then we'll never know. But uh, cool. Awesome, man. I know that's a great topic and glad we got to add it to the curriculum. But for those that are joining us, make sure you are subscribing to the channel at US Fed. Well, we're almost at 300, so that's pretty cool. And uh, we got a bunch of books out there. We're redoing the website. Going to uh, podcast. Got Trevor's Get to Vet podcast out there. Anything you want to announce for that, Trevor? No, we still have Herb Thompson's episode is for this week. He's the author of The Transition Mission. Awesome uh, book. We got, I think next week, we're going to have another guy, Richard Kaufman, who's an army vet, has his own podcast, Vertical Momentum. I think that that guy, he's a, I love him to death, man. He's just got a big heart. Uh, he loves talking to vets. And I was glad that we actually got him to come on the show because he's got a good story. And uh, part of it, I almost started crying. That's like what he was talking about it. Oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. I just, he's one of those guys that like he's, you talk to him, you're like, I, I instantly liked him listening to him talk and he's got a lot of love to share. And yeah, so that'll be coming out next week. And we release our episodes every Monday at 12 p.m. Okay, cool. You'll have to add a hashtag uh, tearjerker or something. Yeah. Cool, cool. Awesome, man. Congrats on the success with that. And uh, yeah, for everybody else, we'll see you on a Friday at noon. Special announcement that day changes. It's scenery a special day. Slightly. slightly. I don't yeah. know. We'll see. <laughs> so. figure it. But uh, all right, we'll see you later. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Veteran Wealth Secrets. Be sure to subscribe to us on all the podcast channels, also on YouTube, and share it with a friend. Visit our website at usvetwealth.com to get access to all of our free resources, including the first three chapters of Veteran Wealth Secrets, the post-military guide to gaining autonomy and control. You can get that today on our website, first three chapters for free, or you can go to amazon.com if you want the Kindle or paperback. We have other resources all over the website, so check out usvetwealth.com to learn more.